Well, good morning. If you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 16 through 18 and then put your finger there and turn to Psalm 142. We will be in both of those places this morning as we continue on our sermon series about on worship, especially worship to the one and only. As I sing that song, I think about this gathering, that he is the only one who makes this work. We all have different personalities. We all have different backgrounds. We all have different interests and likes and hobbies and goals. We all have different attitudes, as, as I know Philippians was about a little bit this morning, all of us come to this very different, as, as, as unique individuals, but he's the one that brings us together. He's the one that makes this work. And when we get distracted and we begin to focus on ourselves, or we begin to focus on what we desire and how we would like to worship, or something else, or what the difficulties are going on in our life, or uh, what we would enjoy or whatever the case may be, that's when things become troublesome. I think even in preaching, he is the one who makes this work. This doesn't make sense any other way. To take a book and to explain it through someone who is terrified of public speaking and not all that eloquent, He's the one that makes this work. Otherwise, it doesn't happen. Otherwise, it, it, it's a waste of our time. He is the one and the only. And so we worship him. We make much of him. And we've been trying in the last, over the last several weeks to figure out exactly what that means. And last week, we began to answer the question of how. How do we worship? Not in the sense of Preparing our hearts for that, not in the sense of, of maybe how we, we spiritually come to that, though those are important questions as well. But what we are looking at right now is what are the physical things, what are the tangible things that we do that we can practice that make much of him? Last week we looked at the word, and we're going to come back to that here in just a moment. This morning, as you have already guessed, we are looking at how we worship through prayer. And so if you would, please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul is ending his letter and he is addressing this church and giving them a list of things that he wants to remind them about in this Christian life. And we jump into the middle of the list in verse 16. He says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And then turning to Psalm 142, David writes, and we see the title here, My skill of David when he was in the cave, a prayer. With my voice I cry out to the Lord when my with my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, 
They have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see. There is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we are thankful. We are thankful because of all that you have done. Lord, our, the creation that we're surrounded with. Lord, the breath that you have put into our lungs, how you have formed us and put us together, both physically and emotionally and spiritually. You have knit every part together. Father, we are thankful for where you have placed us, Lord, and this church family that you have given us, this community that is around us. We are thankful for how you sustain us, the things that you do right now. Father, we are thankful for the promises, Lord, that you have given us that are to come, that have been assured and sealed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, we are thankful that we can come to the Creator. We can come to the one that is all-powerful and all-sovereign, that we can come to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we can talk. That we can present our ups and our downs. That we can know that you are there and that you are unchanging. And that you desire to act. Father, we pray. Come. Here in this moment, right now. Be our blessing in the land of the living. That we may know you that we may be blessed. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We have, as we have mentioned several times already, been looking at worship this summer, and we have given ourselves a working definition to help us to all kind of be on the same page and keep a focus as we've been doing that. And the definition that we have given worship in our context is placing supreme value upon God. That as we go through this life, as we are called to worship, having been made to worship, that we desire and that we should desire to place supreme value on God. And I would add that it's not just an action that we do. It's not just something that we proclaim and remind ourselves of his supreme value and declare to him his supreme value. But also, as we do this, what happens is that others see his supreme value as well. That others who watch us, whether it is here in, in the church on a Sunday morning or in Sunday school or whether it is in our jobs or whether it's in other locations, that when we worship well through our lives in this myriad of ways that we're going to talk about over the next several weeks, 
Others see that and they see the value that we place on God and that leads them to question why. And if we can get them to ask that question, oh, the doors that opens up. So worship is placing supreme value on God. And so we've been asking the question, uh, we started to ask the question last week, how do we do that then? We've talked about the what, the when, the where, the with whom and all that. But how do we do that? And last week we said we, we do it through the word. We do it through his word that he has given us and we recognize it as being a precious thing. And if we value him, if we, have play, if we say he is the most important thing in our lives, then we will value this. And so worship consists of valuing his word, listening to it, consuming it in one way or another, and then obeying it. It's not of much value. We do not show it much honor if we simply read it and listen to it and then do not obey it. If we ignore it, that doesn't show anyone that it has value. It just shows people that we know how to read or that we know how to listen. So we obey it. And then we focus, right? We not only value it, we not only obey it, but we desire to focus upon it. We, it, it is a growing passion and desire in our lives. I was talking with a, a young man this week that you're going to get to hear more about uh, in, in the next few weeks um, about what do you do now if you've accepted Christ. And we talked about how there's a growing uh, desire for the word that uh, when you first become a baby Christian, I don't expect you to have, uh, and no one should expect you to have an hour and a half long quiet time when you first come to know Christ. But uh, man, you just start with just a little bit, like consuming a little bit every day and, and the hope and the desire and what should happen is that it grows and it expands um, and that over the course of time, you do find yourself spending more and more time focusing on his word, trying to find out as much as you can about this one that we value and so we, we worship through the word. This morning, we worship, we also talk, are going to talk about how we worship through prayer. How do we worship by communicating with him? Prayer, uh, and there's lots of ways for us to respond to God. Um, we, we talk about worship a lot, and in a, in a Western uh, context, and in a Western church context especially, we think about worship, and we often think about singing. Um, and singing is fantastic. It's a wonderful way to worship. We're going to talk about it next Sunday. And it, it's a way that, that communicates in a special manner. And we're commanded to do it in Scripture to make a joyful noise. But, but let me ask you this. If you communicated to your significant other or you communicated to your best friend only through singing, that would be weird like, it's one of the reasons that I have, like, I love some musicals, but sometimes it's just, it's an odd thing. Like, who breaks out into song to communicate a point? Right? It's good. They're, they're wonderful things. We, sh we should sing. But we should also just talk. Like, sometimes we just need to talk to him. And so that's what prayer is. It's just another form of communication, of response to this one and only that we say we value above all things. If the word of God is speaking to us, then prayer is part of our reply. And you'll notice I say part because we're going to talk about all these other ways these next few weeks, whether it's singing or creativity 
or generosity or obedience or sometimes even silence. All of these ways are ways that we respond to him, this one that we say that we value. So let's take a look at that a little bit this morning. What, what does the word have to say about prayer? If we go back to our text in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 16, it says again, and just as a reminder, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is not the only place in Scripture that we can find a call to prayer. And I would even say it goes beyond a call. It is a command to pray. Paul is listing out here at the end of Thessalonians, and he's talking about how we are to live a Christian life. And when you start at verse 12 and read through verse uh, 15, what you see is a lot of that has to deal with how we deal with one another. He says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you that are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So this is us, okay, our relationship, to esteem them highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. We urge you, brothers, to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good in one another and to everyone. So the first part of this list has to do with the, the horizontal relationships in our lives, right? People to people, individuals to individuals, groups to groups. And then he says in verse 16, rejoice always. So we kind of group all of the first part of this list together. And then we're going to group all of the second part of this list and rejoice always is the bridge between those two passages, between those two sections. So we rejoice always in our relationships with other people. Now, that is a choice, okay? Because it doesn't always come naturally. There are times that we don't always rejoice in our relationships with other people. But we make, God is commanding us, he's calling us to make that choice. Rejoice always always in those relationships but he's also not only pointing backwards but he's pointing forwards to the rest of the list rejoice always also in all of these other things and we've already read this a couple times these other things are praying and giving thanks there's a now we're focused not on the horizontal relationships now we're turning to this vertical relationship with christ so we have this call to rejoice always and it spreads into prayer, this call to prayer. He says there in verse 17, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Now, for those of you that have been in church for a long time, you've probably heard a sermon on this passage before. And so you already know that when Paul calls us to pray without ceasing, he is not saying that we should cloister ourselves in a faraway abbey and lock the door and never come out and, and pray all of our waking hours and someone we take turns bringing each other bread and water for sustenance. Though some days I don't think that would be such a bad life. Um, that's not the call that we're being given here. He says, pray without ceasing. It is to have a mind and a heart that consistently is in tune and in communication with the Lord. Let me give you an example of this from Scripture. If you go to Nehemiah, if you would like to turn there, you're welcome to. I'm just going to kind of quote out of that a little bit, paraphrase that. But in Nehemiah, and we looked at this story last time, 
Nehemiah, the first chapter, we have this Jewish man who is in exile, as are the vast majority of the Jewish people. And he receives a visit for some people back that had been to Israel. They come back and they are sharing with Nehemiah the horrible conditions that, are in, that, that Jerusalem finds itself in. The walls are down, enemies are coming to and from and, and making a mess of everything. The temple, of course, is flattened. Nothing is right. Everything is bad. And Nehemiah has a great uh, uh, weight upon his soul for Jerusalem and for the people of God that, that the Lord places there. And so what does he do begin to do? He begins to pray. And we see in chapter one, this long extended prayer of Nehemiah that he is repeating over this course of several days. And so he's, go, he's praying in his room alone, these long extended prayers, sharing his heart with God, asking God to remember the promises of old, asking God to do all of these things. Asking God to, and then thanking God as well for all the things that he's done in the past. And then we find life continues on. And Nehemiah finds himself, he is a servant to the king. He is in the king's presence on a regular basis. And the king recognizes that Nehemiah is not his normal self. He, he sees that there is a weight upon Nehemiah. And so he asks him, Nehemiah, what's wrong? What's going on? And Nehemiah, it says there, the word of God records, it says, Nehemiah, I, it says, I prayed. I prayed. Now, the, the obvious here is that Nehemiah didn't get asked a question by the king and then look at the king and go, hey, if you'll just hold on just a minute, I'm going to walk in the other room over here so I can get down on my knees and I'm going to pray. And then when the time's right and I'm done with that, I'll come respond to your, your question. That's not what Nehemiah does here. Nehemiah prays and then he responds and in my mind it, it's kind of one of those you get asked a question that you know that there's a lot of weight to that the answer is is very close to your heart and he, he kind of does this and then he answers and in that moment in that in that exhale there is the prayer lord have favor there is the prayer lord Give me the words. It's not long. It's not wordy. There's not a lot. We don't know exactly even what he said. But in that moment, he, he prays. He communicates with the one who can handle it all before he answers the king because he recognizes there's a lot of potential in this moment. That's what it means to pray without ceasing. To go through your day, to go through your job, to go through your activities, to go through your rising and your sleeping, thinking these are moments that he has given. And there's great potential in these moments. And to think, I must pray. I must pray. Whether they are long, drawn-out prayers in the in the privacy of your home, or whether they are public prayers in places like this or, or in other places, or whether they are those sighs of life where you just say, have favor upon me. Go before me. We pray, we're called to pray without ceasing. It's interesting as well as we go through our passage here in Thessalonians that prayer is linked 
with the next statement in verse 18. It says, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. You'll remember that first part of that list, everything's linked together. It's all about relationships that we have with one another. The second one, these things are all linked together as well, and they all have to do with our relationship with him. So the first part is rejoice always, and then we have pray without ceasing, and then we have thanksgiving. We are to live lives giving thanks to him. It's one of the ways that we show value to him. It's one of the ways that we show appreciation to him. And we see, we're going to talk about this more in here in a minute, it says that this is the will of God for you. I think one of the reasons that God desires for us to be people of thanksgiving is because when we are focused on giving thanksgiving, it takes our, it takes our focus off a lot of other things that we need to just let go. It is really hard to have a consistently bad attitude if you are an individual of thanks. If you are looking around you and saying, thank you for that, thank you for that, thank you for that, it's really hard for you to start grumbling. Not impossible, but giving of thanks changes our attitudes, it changes our outlooks, and it's interesting that he connects this with prayer in the same list. Pray without ceasing, give thanks. I think there's a reason for this because in all types of prayer, in all types of prayer, thanksgiving should be a part of what we're doing. And we know there's different types of prayer. Certainly there's prayers of just thanksgiving. There's prayers of confession where we come before the Lord and we, we confess that we have made mistakes, that we've sinned, and we ask for his forgiveness In those prayers, there is ample room for thanksgiving because we have a God who does forgive us, a God who does does, separates us from our sins as far as the east is from the west. We have a God that has died for us and rose again. We have ample reason to give thanks in a prayer of confession. (coughs) Excuse me. At the same time, we have prayers of petition, those times when we pray for ourselves of things that are going on in our own life. And we notice that that's what is we have in Psalm 142. In Psalm 142, we have this incredible, heart-wrenching prayer of petition. But even there in verse 7, it says, Bring me out of prison that I may what? That I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. Notice that even in this heart-wrenching prayer when, when David is on the run and his life is at risk, that even in this prayer of, of desperation, he remembers what God has done for him in the past and he knows that, that God will work for his good in the future and he gives thanks, he gives a recognition of that, but then he also prepares for thanksgiving. So in our petitions, we give thanks. In our intercessions, we give thanks. Intercession being prayer that we make on the behalf of others. There is room for thanksgiving. And those, when we do that, when we intermingle our prayer life with a life of thanksgiving, it changes the way that we pray. pray. There are many times that that we can get in the habit, we get in the in kind of the, the roadway ditch of praying. Without thanksgiving, and our prayers begin to sound a lot like honey-do lists rather than prayers to God. 
We begin to sound, it begins to sound more like a list of chores that we want him to perform or, get, or a Christmas list that we want him to make sure he checks everything off of rather than a conversation with the God of the universe who has already given us life, who has already given us salvation. So thanks keeps us from going off the road, from, from getting distracted and helps us to remain balanced as we pray to him. And then, as we said, all of this is part of God's will. Look there at the end of our little passage in 1 Thessalonians there. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So the will of God is that we take care of those horizontal relationships. We don't want to forget that part of the list. It's important. It's just not our focus this morning. But his will also is that we communicate with him, that we rejoice, that we pray to him, that we give thanks to him, that we have a thankful heart. This is the will of God. And as we've said, worship is the the proclaiming, the, the making known of the incredible value of God. And so if our desire should be to make him known and our desire should be to place supreme value on him, then if he is that valuable, we should want to do what he wants us to do. It's just like when you have a, a loved one, a spouse, a child, a grandchild, it, you take delight in doing the things that they want to do. I see this more and more in my mom and dad. It's like Rosemary controls their lives. It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Like she says, I want to go get ice cream. And they're like, how many flavors do you want? I'm like, who are these people? Right? Because they get great joy out of doing what she wants to do. Because they value her. Because they love her. How much more then if he is the greatest thing there is. And he's the greatest thing that's happened to us. Should we look at him and say, what do you want to do? And he tells us, my will is that you pray to me. That you talk to me. And that you give thanks I don't know about you, but rejoice always, talk to me, and give thanks. Sound like pretty good things. It doesn't sound like he wants us to have just lives of misery. It sounds like he wants us to enjoy life. And so we see him as as being worth this immense value. And so we should hear these words. This is the will of God. And we should say, where do I sign up? Where do I get on board? So we have this call to prayer. And we see not only a call to prayer in Scripture, a command to prayer in Scripture, but we see that it is the mark of a believer's life. Believers very simply pray. We not only see the call and the command, we see it lived out. Turn with me really quick to Genesis. We'll just start there. We're not going to go to all of these passages that I'm going to name over the next few minutes, but Genesis chapter chapter 4 towards the very beginning of your Bible. We have Adam and Eve have come on the scene. God's created them. And Adam and Eve have a very special relationship with God, especially in the garden, where they speak with God the way that you and I speak to one another. It's something that's hard for us to even fathom, the relationship that they have with God and how they communicate. They have two children right off the bat, Cain and Abel, Unfortunately, that does not end well, and Cain ends up killing Abel. 
And even, but even in that relationship, what you see in Genesis is that there is still this ongoing dialogue between God and humanity. And then something changes. Something changes. We see in chapter 4, verse 25, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Your scripture, your version may say people began to worship the name of the Lord. The idea is the same. In this moment, in verse 26, in the third, at the beginning of what we would think of as the third generation of humanity, God's means of communication changes. Up until this point, God had communicated in a, in a very audible, verbal sense. And people were able to talk back to him in, in that manner. In, chapter, in verse, chapter 4, verse 26, we see a change happen where the, communi- the means of communication shift a little bit. And it, the reason is, is because sin is abounding, like sin is exploding all over. And the farther that humanity goes into sin, the, the more God has to withdraw because he can't be involved in that. He won't be involved in that. And so prayer begins. Now there's, there's a separation. Not that he never audibly speaks to anyone again. Certainly we see that in scripture. Some, some of you have experienced that in your own life. There are times that God still audibly talks to us, but no longer is it face to face. Now there is a distance. There's a separation, but believers still pray, starting with this family of Adam and Eve in the third generation under Seth. They begin to pray, and his son, they begin to pray. They begin to call upon the name of the Lord to intervene in their lives. They begin to worship him through this manner. We see it as well in 1 Samuel 1 and 2, the story of Hannah. We looked at that several months ago. Hannah, the, this incredible believer who had incredible faith, was unable to have a son, and so she goes to the temple and she's praying. And we get through, through that picture, we see that that Hannah is not the first person to pray, that that is a normal thing for a believer to do. Now, the manner in which she prays causes some attention, but it is normal for believers to come to the temple and to pray. We see in Daniel chapter 6, Daniel, this incredible believer with an incredible faith, that his life is so marked by prayer, by communication with God, that his enemies know the only way we're going to get him, the only way we're going to remove him from the scene is if we make Prayer to God illegal. That's the only way. That's the, that's the easiest, quickest way to get rid of Daniel. Believe, in the Old Testament, so in the Old Testament, believers' lives, sorry, were marked by prayer. In the same way, Jesus models that a believer's life is marked by prayer. Luke 5, 16, Matthew 6, 5. Jesus' life is marked by prayer. In his time, away from the Father, the Son's life is marked consistently by him taking time to pray, the scripture tells us that it was his normal, uh, it was his normal uh, schedule to get away from even the disciples and to pray that he may have that conversation with the Lord. And then we see other times that he prays over individuals and over situations. And then we see it in the New Testament again. Colossians 4, we see it in Colossians 4 2. We've already read 1 Thessalonians 1 or 1 Thessalonians 5 17. We see it all over the book of Acts. 
That every time the church gathers, they gather together and they are praying together. It's part of their normal worship that they do with one another. It's part of who we are. And so the question begins to form in our mind if we have been called to pray, if we have been, been told that this is the will of God in our lives, if we see that there is ample uh, uh, picture and representation of prayer being the normal part of a believer's life, if it, the question begins to form in our own minds, if we are not praying, what's going on? If this is the call and this is the normative that believers have communication with God through the form of prayer, then if we are not doing that, then what's wrong? We're going to set that question off to the side for just a second. Ponder upon that for a moment. As we see this call, though, and as we see the, that a believer's life is marked to pray, then we should also ask the question, how is this worship? How is it worship? How is prayer showing the value of God? Turn with me that Psalms 142, that prayer that we read at the beginning. We're just going to pull out a couple of things that David does here in his prayer just to remind us of how prayer can show God's immense value. First, prayer shows God's value as our Savior and our Sustainer. Chapter one, or Psalm 142, starting in verse 1. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell him my trouble before, I tell my trouble before him. Verse, jumping down to verse 5. I cry out to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Going down over to verse 7, bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me for you deal, will deal bountifully with me. We see even in this prayer of desperation that Paul gives as he's running for his life from King Saul. That he shows the value of God as his savior and his sustainer. We need this reminder regularly. So often it's easy for us to get wrapped up in our lives and think that it's all about us and it's all about what we can accomplish and what we can do. And our value begin, begins to be about how much we can provide for ourselves. And if you look around the world, certainly that is a grand measure that the world would use is how much can you make? How much can you provide for yourself and for others? And when we pray, we, sh we are reminded that he is our savior, that he is our provision, that he is our sustainer. Second, it shows God's value as all-powerful. He says there that his enemies have become too much for him. Verse, he says there in verse 6, Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. David recognizes in this prayer that he is unable to rescue himself. But he prays to the one who can. He prays to the one who can. As he, as he lifts out and pours out his heart in this prayer that is recorded for us, 
He was reminded that though he cannot accomplish these things, that there is one who can. And so when we pray, when we pray, we're reminded that we are praying to the one who is sovereign over all things. We are praying to the one who is all wise. We are praying to the one who is all powerful. We are praying to the one who can do something. Well, sometimes we need to be reminded of that. Sometimes we need to remember his value in that, and we need to proclaim his value in that. And then lastly, when we pray, we show God's value as our greatest relationship. As you look through the Psalms, we're not going to pick out one verse here or one Psalm here, but as you look through the Psalms and all of these collections whether they are songs or whether they are prayers or whether they are just a, a repetition of, of words in a poem, what we see over and over again is that for David and for the writers of these words that are led by the Holy Spirit, that their greatest relationship is not with another person, it's not with a child, it's not with a grandchild or a spouse or a best friend. Their greatest relationship is with him. And so the, the thing that drives them, the thing that they desire to do is to talk with him. That is what they look forward to with great anticipation. I remember when Melissa and I first started talking um, because we couldn't date because we were 12 hours apart. We started talking, and I can remember with a great anticipation, I wanted nothing more in those, those days, and, and I continue to want to communicate her, but in those days, there was this great desire. I'm going to pay for something along those lines. <laughs> There's a great desire, right, to hear her voice and to learn more about her and to, to spend time with her. And so we had a, we had a general thing that, at certain time on a certain day uh, during the week that that was when we would Zoom or when we would do something, when we would talk to one another. And I would look forward to that and I would, I would just, uh, I couldn't wait for that moment. And you just prayed that the internet worked in Madagascar. How much more then should I desire this? Should I desire that time with him if he is the most valuable thing in my life? If he is the greatest relationship that I have, that I get to talk with him, that I get to know him, that I get to share my heart with him. And man, he's, he's not just a great communicator. He's a great listener. He listens. He's patient in his listening. And he's wise in his response. It's a wonderful thing to speak with my Creator and my Savior. And it shows our great value for Him when we do it consistently. Not only does it communicate to Him that He holds great value to us, not only does it remind us of, our, of His great value that, that we need that reminder sometimes, but it also, when we pray consistently, when people know that that is a mark of our lives, it speaks to others of his great value. I want to 
go back a little bit to that question that I asked before and, and kind of rephrase it a little bit in light of what we just talked about to ask this question. If we measured God's value by how much you talk to him, what would come of that? Let that sink in for just a second. If we measured God's value by how much you talk to him personally, what would that come to? Would it come to very much? Would it come to a great deal? That's a question that I can't answer for you. That's a question between you and him. Certainly, we want to be a people of prayer. We want to show him value. Jim Sabala, uh, all, he's a pastor in New York City, author of Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. It, it's been on our list at uh, different times in our reading. Jim says at one point, I don't measure the health of a, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but he says, I don't measure the health of a church by how many people attend on Sunday morning. I merit measure the health of a church by how many people attend its prayer meetings. We have opportunities for you to join, friends. To come on Wednesday night, to, to hear, to pray with us. We've taken kind of a hiatus with that a little bit as we do outreach. We have Wednesday at lunch for you to come and go and to, to pray with friends or to pray by, on your own. We've been doing that since 2020. We average about five people. Three of those are staff. And I know that you go to Dairy Queen down the street. Not trying to guilt trip you, just saying. We have prayer guides that we've made for I don't know how long. And we only print 10 because we know that that's not, they won't all be taken. We measured God's value by how much we talked to him. What would that come to? As the praise team comes back up and we have a time of response, I don't know what that looks like for you, but it may be for you, believer. And it certainly is for me at times that that response is repentance. To look at our own life to answer this question and say, something needs to change. Maybe, maybe though too, there are those here that would need to rejoice, that need to give thanks. And for that, I am overjoyed. And I hope you will do so. But this morning, let's respond. Father, we come before you and Father, we want to show you great value. Lord, we would not be here if we didn't believe that you were creator. We wouldn't be here if we, we didn't acknowledge that you're the savior of our souls, that it is only through you that we gain heaven. You have given us 
more than we could ever dream for, more than we could ever imagine. Father, you are everything. And Father, our, our communication with you, it is a vital element of how we connect with you and how we, we deepen that relationship. And Father, it speaks so much to how much we value you. Father, I pray that you would forgive us. I pray that you would forgive us when we take that for granted. I pray that you would forgive me when I don't have that heart and that mindset of praying without ceasing. Father, I ask this morning, Lord, not that we would be guilty, not that we would be momentarily burdened, but Father, that you would look into our hearts and our souls and that you as the one and only would do things that only you could do that you would convict, that you would bring repentance, that you would encourage, that you would uplift, that you would make us whole. Father, we ask these things in your name. Amen. This morning, you can come to the altar. You can grab someone else. You can pray in your seat. You can join us.